I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. These two chapters will prophesy concerning a yet future battle in Israel, and they're both chapters are talking about the exact same battle. Ezekiel chapter 38. We see here that there's a big battle that's in Israel's prophetic future. Ezekiel prophesies of a yet future battle that turns out to be a huge affair, and logically so. The prophecy of the dry bones back in Ezekiel chapter 37 sees the resurrection of an entire nation, that's Israel, after a long period of inactivity. Now, most people teaching that passage today see the events of chapter 37 beginning to take shape after Israel declared its independence on May 14, 1948. What's interesting about that is they had not been a nation uh, since the demise of Israel, or Jerusalem, should I say, back in 586 B.C. So that's over 2,500 years. The battle of chapters 38 and 39 must follow that occasion, making an event that takes place after 1948. Now let's begin reading with verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn thee back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine enemy, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarma, of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Well, let's see what we know about these attackers. Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, that's in verse 38-2. There's only one reference in the Old Testament well, except for Ezekiel, to Gog. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. Obviously, no relation here. However, the rest of the names are found in one verse, and that's Genesis chapter 10, verse 2. And that particular chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 10, is a chapter of genealogies, and that chapter gives us an overview of the distribution of the descendants of Noah after the worldwide flood had subsided. According to the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the biblical and extra-biblical data, though sparse, would imply that Meshach and Tubal refer to geographical areas or countries that are located in eastern modern Turkey, southwest of Russia and northwest of Iran. Now, Persia listed there is modern-day Iran. Kush is from the region of modern-day Ethiopia. Hut is in the neighborhood of Libya. Uh, Gomer there is southeastern Europe. Tagarma is um, probably most maintained that this refers to the people in the old Armenia prior to 1915. Armenia encompassed the entire eastern half of today's Turkey. 
So let's now read verse 7, now that we know the players. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, that is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord, It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of the unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates to take a spoil, and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, that dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lines thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold? to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. Here in these verses, 7 through 13, we get a glimpse of what will be going on in the minds of these enemies of Israel prior to this battle. The big question is this. When does this battle fall, I mean prophetically, in Israel's future? Well, there are four common conjectures regarding the timing of this battle. Let's look at them. First of all, uh, some people see it as identical with the battle described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, at the end of the millennium. There's nothing about this battle that fits at the end of the millennium except for the reference to Gog and Magog. These terms are used to characterize a gathering of unregenerate Gentiles to attack the Messiah and his people in Revelation chapter 20. Ezekiel 38 and 39 definitely does not fit at the end of the millennium. There's just no way it can fit there. So we'll reject that idea. Now some people, secondly, see it as, a, as taking place prior to the rapture of the church. Some have keyed in on the seven years in this passage that are listed there and determined that this battle must take place at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. They just sort of assume that these years sync with the length of the tribulation. However, since the pre-tribulation rapture position holds that the tribulation begins with the rapture of believers, that leaves the earth without any righteous people to be attacked at the beginning of the tribulation. And that's sort of a problem. If you want to see more about uh, the rapture, consult my notes on BibleTrack.org on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And in addition to that, the first three and a half years of the tribulation are typically characterized, we see in Revelation chapter uh, 6, as relatively peaceful. And the Antichrist during that period expands his influence and authority. So this battle does not fit prior to the rapture of believers, at least not in my mind. A third position is that this is the battle of, uh, of Armageddon that describes the battle of Armageddon. Well, some have assumed that these two chapters, being the Battle of Armageddon, uh, take place then at the end of the seven years of tribulation. Well, if you're talking about the battle described in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, that's really not possible. 
And the reason is you have a different enemy and a different outcome. Well, then there are those teachers who have characterized all the warfare of the second half of the tribulation as the Battle of Armageddon. When using the term Battle of Armageddon as a general term like that, rather than an isolated conflict, I, I suppose one could make the case to include this battle as the perhaps kickoff battle of that entire period that begins at the second half of the tribulation. The last position, and the one that I think is most favorable, is that this battle takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation, and that's when the beast of Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, breaks his covenant with Israel. To me, this seems to be the most appropriate place in prophecy for this battle, and you can see it in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Now let's look at beginning reading with verse 14. Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelt safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me. And I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking of the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will reign upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him. And overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord. These verses 14 to 23 begin to describe the battle that takes place. The attack comes from the north, we see in verse 15, in great numbers, according to verse 16. Then there'll be an earthquake. We see that in verses 19 and 20. And this earthquake actually matches the scenario found in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. As a matter of fact, verses 21 to 23 fit very nicely into the exact scenario that we find described in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Then we have the aftermath of the battle that's seen in Ezekiel chapter 39. Let's begin here with verse 1. Therefore the Son of Man prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. Now will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of the right hand. 
Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. And I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beast of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with the fire. And they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east side of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. And there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamangog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamonah. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl, and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves, and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty, and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them the fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full, and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. According to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, have I done unto them, and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name. 
After that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses whereby they trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid, when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' hands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen, but I have gathered them into their own land, and have left none of them any more. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Well, there's some interesting and unmistakable identifiers associated with this battle. After the battle described in these two chapters, it takes seven months to bury the dead. Uh, and their weapons, by the way, are used as fuel for fire for, uh, for seven years. See that in verse 9. I first started saying these two chapters in 1973, and I've considered a myriad of possibilities for fitting this battle into other prophetic passages. But I'm convinced this battle sits most compatibly at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. We see here that the allied enemies involved come from the north, west, east, and south. Of course, it's worth pointing out that the country borders of Ezekiel's day were different than today. The biggest culture seems to be that northernmost nation leading the offensive against Israel's unwalled cities in this passage. So, let's plug this battle into other prophetic passages. As mentioned, I'm convinced that the time of this battle is the midpoint of the tribulation. At that point, the guy that we call the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10, will have been decreasing influence over a world experiencing relative peace for that first three and a half year period of the tribulation. See the notes on Revelation 6 for more about that. These enemy armies will occupy the mountains around Jerusalem. We see that an earthquake and events that resemble volcanic activity preemptively destroy the enemy right there in the mountains. That was seen in Ezekiel 38, verses 19 and 20. Well, that would seem to coincide with the events of Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And those verses detail the exact same kind of an event. It seems that this is the event that supernaturally is orchestrated by God which sets up the second half or the last half of the tribulation. We see in these two chapters that God causes the enemy to plan the attack and God destroys them with an earthquake. Well, after their miraculous destruction, it seems plausible that the man we call the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, that he'll take credit for the victory and then he'll proclaim himself to be God. Well, it's at that point that Daniel's abomination of desolation will take place. Uh, that literally is when the uh, man we generally refer to as the Antichrist uh, walks into the holy place and proclaims himself to be God. By the way, that's seen in Daniel 9.27, 11.31, and 12.11. And then Jesus refers to it in Matthew 24.15, Mark 13.14, and Luke 21.20. And then we also see Paul giving us a great deal of detail on that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, the beast of Revelation 13, at that point, will declare himself to be God. And he'll move right on into the temple that will have been built by that time in Jerusalem. With that great allied enemy destroyed, now the beast of Revelation 13 that we frequently call the Antichrist 
will be in a great position to rule with complete unopposed authority, well, at least for a while. Because the tribulation does end with the battle of Armageddon where Jesus rides in and destroys the enemy with the sword of his mouth. So there we have it, and in a nutshell, let me say again that I believe this battle takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation, crowned right there in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.